Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. We're in a series about messes titled Dress the Mess. This is week three of four. Uh, if you missed the past two, you can either catch up on Facebook or on our website. Uh, today's topic is in, Inside Out, and hopefully it'll make sense in a few, a few more minutes. How many of you are glad you're here this morning? Glad that you're here? All right. Great worship music, wasn't it? Great worship music. And uh, you had an extra hour of sleep. Can't get much better than that, right? Anyway, we're glad you made it, and uh, we look forward to what God has, has for us the, the next half hour or so, and then we'll be finished about 12 o'clock. <clears throat> Take the first couple of minutes and we'll review uh, so we're kind of on the same page and know where we've been. We talked about we know messes because we've all been messes or are messes or will be messes, right? So when I see one, I recognize it because I am one. All right, so we're kind of, we all have this in common, whether it's a financial mess, and we'll help you with that on Tuesday night, uh, or a relationship mess, they're the messiest and the hardest usually, uh, health issue, um, professional issue, whatever it might be. We all had messes. Now I want to say I, I was just blown away by how many of you stood up last week at the end of the message and we talked about, uh, you know, when you are in the midst of a mess or have been or will be and uh, your willingness to, to call on God's help. So I, I thank you for that response. It was uh, just blew, blew me away. Uh, we also talked about not being critical, and Jesus gave us this example that we all have such big messes. He described it as a plank in our eye. And we have such big messes. You just focus on yours, fixing yours, dealing with yours. And if you can get those straightened out, maybe you can help somebody out with their little messes, right? And when we're in the midst of those messes, we often say nobody's perfect, which is true, but we often use that as an excuse, right? Uh, nobody's perfect. Um, but what we're also saying, which is so fascinating, is that when we say that, there is a perfect that nobody is, right? <laughs> you don't have to be a Jesus follower. You don't have to be a God person, a religious person at all. We all have these standards in our mind, whether it's, you know, what's a good husband, what's a good father, what's a good mother, what's a good citizen of the United States, what's a good employee. We have all these standards and none of us reach them, right? We all mess up and we feel bad and feel guilty and so forth. Well, why is that? Especially if you're not a Jesus follower. Why don't you just get rid of them? Say, doesn't matter. But there's something inside of you and inside of me that just says, yes, there is some kind of higher, higher standard and, and I, I can't reach it. And so what we're saying is, we put it on your outline the last couple of weeks, when we acknowledge our messes, the fact there is a standard that we can't reach, we are baby steps away from acknowledging God because we believe that's this imprint or this thumbprint of God, God whispering, God speaking, saying, yeah, there's a standard and you, 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 don't, you don't make it. But I want to help you, if you'll let me. So here we're going. This this, this week we're going. This is where we're going. Uh, this next slide. Christians believe something, and we've mentioned this past week. Jesus loves the little messes, all the messes of the world. Comes from the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, right? But it doesn't end there. And last week we talked about Jesus, you know, dealing with a woman that was caught in adultery and dealing with a woman that had five. Why husbands and on the sixth, the sixth man, uh, God, he was so bad, the Romans wanted to execute him, and uh, just uh, another guy that was a traitor, and everybody in town hated him, even though he's a rich guy. But Jesus loved all these people. He interacted with these people, but he loved them too much, and there's always a but, a good but in this case. 
but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Now, those of you that are parents understand this, don't you? And even if you're not, you had parents. And hopefully if you had good parents, they didn't just let you do anything you wanted, right? When you messed up, when your character wasn't what it should be, they hopefully disciplined you with the goal to increase or grow your character. And eventually as you became an adult, hopefully you'd be a, a contributor, positive contributor to society. So we can understand that in, the, in our realm with our children and our parents. Well, certainly true, going to be true then of God who we describe as our perfect heavenly Father. He loves us too much to leave us that way. Now, <clears throat> one problem that the church, and we'll take fault in this, has projected this idea that Christianity is not much more than I mess up and God forgives me. I mess up and God forgives me. I mess up and God forgives me. All right? This kind of vicious cycle, this treadmill, nothing changes. And that's kind of a distortion. It is a distortion of true Christianity or following Jesus. In fact, it sounds a lot like more to me than Christianity. It sounds like country music. How many of you are country music fans? I'm not. But uh, one thing I really am I'm fascinated about country music is this. There's more things about church and Bible and Jesus and God and country music than anything except for church music, right? So I'm going to put up an example here. I don't know any, these artists, different artists. I just found this one. And I'm a long gone Waylon song on vinyl. I'm a back road sinner at a tent revival. How many rock songs talk about that stuff, right? She believes in me like she believes her Bible and loves me like Jesus does. The implication is what? I mess up, she still loves me. I mess up, she still loves me. And the next song says the same thing, right? And some of you may not be Jesus followers, and we all have people, friends that aren't Jesus followers and relatives, and they look at us, and I can't help but think, they think we're crazy. We kind of, we believe this thing where we mess up and God forgives us, and it's just a vicious cycle, and we do the same things they do, except for two exceptions. We spend an hour or so on church on Sunday and they don't. <laughs> and we feel guilty about what we did and they don't. And they're thinking, why? Why don't you just live like me? Again, this is the distortion of Christianity. In fact, we treat God sometimes like a forgotten old man. And again, we teach this false, false idea that, okay, I sin, I ask God to forgive me, he forgives me and he does what? forgets it, right? Is that true? Does God forget anything? Can he forget anything? No, that's, that's a distortion. Now, what is true is he treats us as if it never happened. But, oh, and isn't, it, isn't, that, isn't that better? My wife knows how many times I screwed up. She still loves me. That's better than if she forgot all the things I, I did, right? But it's kind of convenient. So let's think about that. Husbands, if you forgot... The times your wife messed up, two or three times she's messed up in 40 years, 41 years in my case, then, you know, my life would be shorter. My memory would be shorter. Guys, let's just be honest. Let's reverse it. If our wives forgot all the times we messed up, that 40 years would feel like 20 years. <laughs> she missed half of it, right? She forgot it all. Well, God doesn't forget. He, you know, he doesn't forget those things, people in the Bible that messed up. Um, he still knows what's in the Bible, and he knows what you've done and I've done. So it's actually better than that, that he forgives us and forgets. So 
Let me give you a scenario, a story. <clears throat> uh, ladies, single ladies or ladies that are married, think back to when you were single. And you went out on your first date with this guy. And things are going pretty well. And his first dates are usually just kind of all superficial stuff, right? And so it's going so well. And you're in a nice, nice place, nice restaurant, whatever. And so uh, you, you take a chance. And you want to go to a deeper conversational level. And you say, hey, uh, by the way, do you have, you know, a, a, a goals in life? Where do you want to go with your life? What do you want to do with your life? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got three. Would you share them with me? Sure. And you're thinking, hey, this, is, this guy's got it together, right? So my first goal is not to lose my job. My second goal is not to get a DUI again. And the third one is not to get another woman pregnant. <laughs> Ladies, you're going to hate that you asked that question, aren't you? Probably no second dates in that, that scenario either. All right. Guys, dads especially, let's change the scenario a little bit. A lot of us are dads and have daughters. And teenage daughter, 17, whatever, guy knocks on the door, comes to take her out. And she's not ready yet. And so you sit this young guy down. You say, hey, tell me about yourself. Got any goals in life? Oh, yeah, I got three. I don't want to lose my present job. I don't want to get another DUI. And um, is, your wife, is, your, is, your, is your daughter ready to go yet? That conversation gets a little uncomfortable at that point, right? All right, hold on that illustration because we'll get back to it in a minute. Another way to describe that is Christianity is not just stay out of trouble. This guy just wanted to stay out of trouble. So if it's not about just staying out of trouble, what's it really about? So we're going to look at something Paul wrote. Paul was this guy that became a Jesus follower after Jesus. He didn't actually interact with Jesus. But he interacted with, you know, some of the disciples. Went around starting churches Mostly with people that weren't Jewish, even though he was Jewish, and, which is cool because most of us aren't, and we're a product of that. And travel was hard in, back in the first century, so he would start these churches and he would write them letters. And he probably wrote them multiple letters, but we have a few of those letters and we call them books in our New Testament. We're going to look at one, it's called the book of Philippians, uh, what he wrote. And he's going to describe, well I'm going to call a superior, a better Christianity than just stay out of trouble. So this is right at the beginning of the letter. And we call it, we have verse 3. It's just at the beginning of the letter. And we'll pick it up there. Every time I think of you or remember you, I give thanks to my God. And best we can tell, it's maybe been 10 years since he's seen these folks. All right, that's quite a long time. And he's still thinking about them when he thinks about them. What's he say? Whenever I, and then I pray about pray for you, I make my request for all of you with joy. Ten years later, he's still thinking about these people and he prays for them it brings him joy. Let me ask you a really important question and this would be a really good goal in life, better than those other three goals. <laughs> um, what do people think of when they think of you? Does it bring them joy? Wouldn't that be an awesome goal in life? I want people when they think of me that that thought brings them joy. Well, that's what it did for these folks in this church in uh, Philippi. And he explains a little bit more why. He says, excuse me, next slide. For you or because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ and this time 
You first heard it until now. So we've been doing this together. We've been serving God and, and sharing the good news. And I have to honestly say, it brings me joy when I think of you folks. Because this, this, this church functions so well. The reason it functions so well is because of you and our partnership together. And it brings me joy, and I share with this often, when Deb and I were in a pastors and wives conference about 10 days ago, and what happens in these conferences, the pastors get together, and you know what they start doing? Complaining. And I know, you know, no church is perfect. We all, you know, some of you, you folks are more difficult than others, obviously. But my wife and I just don't do that. And we kind of brag on you folks. And one, actually two, two couples from the same church, and he just kept asking us questions. Because obviously that's appealing, a church that brings a person joy rather than uh, difficulty. And every church is different, I understand. These folks have been there like eight years. I've been here forever, so that makes a difference too. But I thank God for you folks, and it brings me joy. And it did for Paul. So then Paul's going to okay, start to describe or a better word, true Christianity, superior Christianity. <clears throat> Next verse. And I am certain, Paul's saying, I'm certain, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% certain, absolutely certain that God who began, let's say that word together, who be, began, okay? For me, it happened over 50 years ago. My journey with God began. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're delighted that you're here. But for most of us, it began someplace a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, Right? Started someplace. I am certain that God who began the good work within you. So the work starts, it's, in, it's inside work. Now as we mentioned last week, what we want is kind of like, we have a problem, we have a mess, we want to call and somebody come and fix it and go away. So we say to God, hey, fix my mess. And God says, no, follow me. And we say, no, God, just fix it. And we say, no, he says, no, follow me. And we say, no, just fix it. He says, no, follow me. There's no quick fixes. This is a process. We call it the, the rule of the harvest, if you will. Seed today and expect to, to harvest it the next day, right? Nobody expects that. You hope after a few days it starts to sprout and you can see progress and eventually there'll be fruit. And that's the same thing with this thing we're calling following Jesus or Christianity, right? Uh, another way of saying it's an inside-out faith. And this is critical because I'll take the blame for church. Most churches don't teach this. We haven't heard this. We don't think this way. And there's some natural reasons for that. But it's an inside-out faith. What we normally, how we approach Christianity normally is as behavior modification, right? Ten Commandments, don't do this, don't do this. Okay, I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try not to do that. I'm not going to steal. You know, I'm going to adjust or modify my behavior. Right? We think of it at, that way. We do that with our kids, right? We, children, we try and adjust their behavior with, our, with discipline. We think of Christianity that way as, as behavior modification. So, you know, I haven't, haven't uh, done that as much now as I used to. I'm, be, I'm modifying my behavior. I'm getting better at this. God, God will like me more. Of course, that's, that's, that's a falsehood too. But that kind of goes hands in hands. When I'm messing up, when I mess up less, God likes me better. It's not true, but that's kind of what the church has projected and many of us think. 
So he goes on, I'm certain the God who began the good work within you, this is the, whenever I began, continue his work until it's finally finished. You ever not finish a project? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> we all have not finished projects, right? I've got all kinds of projects that I haven't finished. Does God, does God ever not finish a project? No, he has no unfinished product, projects. That includes you and it includes me. He said he'll continue his work until it's finally finished. And is it going to be finished next week or next month? When's it going to be finished? Not as long as you and I are breathing, right? Uh, there's still process. We're all in process. And I, like I said, for me, it's over 50 years. And I'm still in process. So God's not trying to just keep you from stuff. He's trying to complete the process in us. Now, in church, we use big words, churchy words, and Sometimes they're hard to, to figure out what they mean. And kind of, a couple of words I thought of when we try, normally try and think about this is ho- the word holy and the word, even a bigger word, sanctified. All right, big churchy words. What, what in the world does that mean? And we hear those words, we kind of think of sterile, right? And Dennis, hopefully I have your permission to use this example. Dennis, guy with the wagon, okay? Uh, Dennis works at this place where they have these uh, clean rooms, all right? And they make serums and, and vaccines, okay? And so they have a special uh, way the air moves so that it doesn't bring in contaminants. And everybody dresses up in all these outfits and have gloves and all that kind of stuff to work on these things. Now... Let me just ask you, but if I was to ask your kids, would they want to play in that room, what would they say? No, it's like when you're a kid and you come to a mud puddle, you walk around it. That's no fun, right? Sterile, stay clean, that's no fun. And we get that impression of Christianity. That's what it's about. But then we look at Jesus, we look at Paul, we look at these other New, Te- New Testament characters. Did they keep themselves all speak- squeaky clean? Stories we talked about last week. No, they didn't. They rubbed shoulders with the messiest people in town. Some guys wrote a book. I think I need to get this book and read it because I think it's, it's, the title's great. It says, Move Toward the Messes. Do you, and I, do you and I move toward the messes? Do I get a call if somebody's made a mess of their life on the phone and my, oh, yeah, 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 I want to help? Or, oh, not again. <laughs> Somebody else is screwed up. And it just seems boring, doesn't it? Put this on your outline. God wants to make you more mature and more secure. See, one reason we don't mix with the messes is because it's inconvenient. It's not comfortable. It's, I'm insecure. In fact, Part of the reason is I think they're going to rub off on me instead of I rub off on them, right? So we're not secure, we're immature, and God says, hey, I want to work maturity in and from the inside out of you. So he goes on to describe this a little bit more. He says, I pray that, in verse 9. Does he say, I pray that? Well, I'll give you a sample suggestion what he's going to pray for. Next slide. Is this his prayer? I pray that you stay out of trouble and keep your hands to yourself. Is that what he prays for? Well, let me ask you a question. What do you pray for when you pray for you? Isn't that kind of what most of our prayers are like? Just kind of keep me out of trouble. 
And when we pray those prayers, they're more prayers out of fear than anything else, aren't they? I'm afraid I'm going to mess up here. I'm afraid I'm going to mess up there. I've already messed up here and messed up there. And they're prayers out of, and they're kind of shallow, you know, and, and so forth. Is that, is, that, is that what God wants us to pray? That's fine to pray those prayers. But is that really what we should be praying about? So what does Paul actually say? <laughs> he says, pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. How often do you pray that prayer? In fact, if you pray about love, what do you usually pray about? Maybe I'm just talking about myself. I want my wife to love me more and my kids to love me more and you folks to love me more. Oh yeah, it would be nice if I loved you more. <laughs> I love my wife more. Uh, and that's what Paul's saying. Pray that your love will overflow. Man, what is something you love? Some soda, milkshake, whatever. Coffee, whatever. And you don't want a half a cup, do you? You want a full cup. It may be even an overflowing cup. And he's saying, hey, yeah, that's what you want to pray for about your love. And this is not talking about love for God. We're going to get to that in a minute. This is about love for messy people. That's what he's talking about. So he's saying, I want you to pray to be a better lover, not a better rule keeper. And isn't that how we usually think of church? Just get those rules better. Then he goes on. For I want you to understand what really matters, what's really important. Not a good question? What's what's matter? What, What matters? What's important? And that you may be pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ Jesus. And is he talking about being sterile? And what was he talking about? What was overflowing? Your love. So he's talking about having pure and blameless love, not pure and blameless character, because we're not going to have that, are we? And then he uses a word that I already used earlier, the word fruit. He said, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. So this process, we call it salvation, or working out your salvation, uh, there's supposed to be fruit from that. Produce something. And he says it's the righteous character that's produced. Good character. Uh, in your life by Christ Jesus. And, and this will bring much glory and praise to God. So it made me think for, mindful of another verse that Paul wrote about fruit. And some of you know this verse. It's in Galatians 5, 22. So what does this righteous character look like? Want to know? Well, he describes it in Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Now notice the word fruit is singular. Now what I like to look at this, well I got a couple of these God, not all of them. Well, <laughs> the overflow of love is, he uses love in this list, but the overflow of love is all of these things. So you're going to have more love, you're going to have more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is inside out. Let me use a personal illustration. <laughs> anger. I have anger issues over, over the years. Not so much anymore. And that's the part I'm using as an illustration. And what I would try and do after I lost my temper was the next time grip my teeth and not do it. You know how well that works? I call that will weakness because we call it will power, but it isn't a power, is it? Because we keep messing up, doing the same things. Now, 
fast forward 50 years, I don't have too much of a temper, anger issue anymore. It's because I just was able to finally have the willpower to do it? No, 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 no. Way better than that. It's cooperating with the Spirit of God in me and actually relaxing. It kind of seems backwards. It's not that I try harder not to. I try to, whatever word you want to use, cooperate, participate, go along with, surrender to the Spirit of God. God, you, you know. So those things that used to frustrate me and make me angry don't do, do that anymore. It's not because I eventually had the willpower to do it. It's because of the inside-out process of Christianity. Way better than just trying to stay out of trouble. Another way to think about it, to put it on your outline, is this. Help me to see as you see and to do as you say. So when I see a messy person, it's this saying, oh, I don't get my hands dirty with that mess. That's, that's going to be work. That's going to be inconvenient. I don't, I'm not going to like that. How does God see messes? Ah, maybe I can help. And so constantly that's what I do. How do you respond? So here's kind of a summary, summary we've been talking about. Following Jesus is not primarily about doing what's right. That's good and we should, but that's not what it's primarily about. Because when you do that, you know what that's about? Or who that's about? Who's that's about? Who, who, who are you focusing on? It's about you, isn't it? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this, what's right. I'm not going to do what is wrong. Jesus tells this fascinating story, and we lose the... Uh, the awe factor when he tells these stories. He's talking about standing in line at the temple to get your forgiveness, bringing your offering, a pigeon or a grain or whatever. You're standing in line, and there's one temple, right? So you can imagine the line is long. This time last year, uh, my wife and I were in Paris, as most of you know, and we're at the Eiffel Tower on a Sunday afternoon. It was beautiful weather. And we get there, and there's four legs, and you can go up, up the legs, and they have elevators, some of them are operating. So we get in this one line. It's a line where there's an elevator. And we were there about a half hour, and the line hardly moved. So we saw another line, a really long line, that actually seemed to be moving faster. And then we found, I went and checked. We found out that was the line where you actually walk up. You don't take the elevator up. So we got in that line. So a half hour in this line, maybe an hour in this line. Eventually, we finally got there. But can you imagine after all that time getting, you know, the second person back and all of a sudden realizing, oh, I got a problem with somebody. And then leaving. Now, what's your reaction? Your reaction is the same as my reaction. I've been here an hour and a half. But uh, what about that issue over there? So leave that and go fix that issue. And our reaction is this. But God, does that mean that person is more important than you? I'm here to worship you. Are we putting that person ahead of God? No. In fact, here's what, we, what we're going to say. It's not about what's right. It's about doing what's right for others. In fact, the way you prove that God's your priority, that God's number one, is putting others first. Let me ask a simple question. How many times have you made a mess of things putting other people first? Not very often, have you? So let's go back to verse 6, and we're just about finished. I am certain that God who began the good work within you, the God who did what? What's the word? Who began 
the good work, but continue the work until finally finished. Now, here's your assignment this week if you choose to do it. Suggest a little prayer. Instead of praying, you know, just God keep me out of trouble, <laughs> which is fine. You can pray that too. But here, this is my suggestion. Father, complete or finish the work you've begun in me. Again, it's more than stay out of trouble. We've got one more week about messes, and we'll move on to another topic. Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're a God that does, isn't afraid to get his hands messy. In fact, you're not afraid to come to su- and earth and suffer and die. Mind-boggling, hard to imagine. And God, help us get, get out of this kind of immature perversion of Christianity where it's just kind of stay out of trouble. And let our love overflow, not because we're loving people, because you love through us. And this, not have this, you know, sterile, keep me out, keep my hands dirty, clean. But we're willing to get our hands dirty as you, God, rub shoulders with us messy people. I'm going to pray for anybody here that's not a Jesus follower or maybe listening that today might be the day you'd step across that line and say, now my life's a mess, but I'm going to, at this point, it's not going to be fixed overnight, but I'm going to start to follow. And Jesus will honor that. Uh, We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.